are thankful we get a chance to dive in your word, guide us, calm us, that whatever distractions that are present from before we came or what we want to do after church, Lord, put those at bay that we might be able to just receive from you. You know, your word is a living word and it applies to our situation today. So allow us to hear from you that we might live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I, um, I'm, I've been here, you've been here, we've been here, where you go through the grocery line and you are third person, two people in front of you, you're waiting patiently, those two people go, you get to the register and you say to the young lady, hey, how you doing today? And then she responds with a simple, I get off in two hours. What that means, if I could translate that for you, that means that when she clocked in, she started counting down to when she could clock out. <laughs> or, or maybe some of you are like me and you have friends that are teachers and you're like, man, like, cool, I see a, a post from a teacher that's like, I'm so glad I get to pour into young minds. And then there's something that just says, and I've only got eight more months of it. Where it's like this, this countdown, there's a, a, a real aspect of work where it almost seems weird when you meet a person and you say, hey, how are you? What do you do? And they're like, I love my job. You, you, love, you love your job. What do you do? Because for some reason, there's a, 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 an aspect of this topic of work that doesn't seem to be normally life-giving, joyful, a great experience. Somehow this topic of work actually, in a normal sense, somehow leaves a little bit of sour taste in the mouth. And so today I actually am excited for what God has to say because God wants to redeem this concept of work in our minds and allow us to be a people who are workers but are not defined by work. Amen? Amen. So we are diving into Genesis chapter 1. That's the first book of the Bible, first chapter, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and darkness. He called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created. God does this beautiful thing for us in our lives. He says, I want you to always model who you are after me. If, if I am Jesus Christ and I have died for your sins and for you to be the most amazing you that you can be, you got to look like me. So if you look like me, I got to show you what the goal is. I got to model for you what the aim is. I want to demonstrate to you what you are to be doing. And so God, in the very first sentence of the Bible, works. God creates. 
He creates the heavens. He creates the earth. He creates the sky. He creates light. He creates plants, water, vegetation, all these things God creates. And then he does something on the sixth day. Look with me in Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 27 and 28. He's created all this stuff. He's working it out, making this beautiful creation that previous to God doing it did not exist. Don't believe the Big Bang. God is the one who made it and created it. And Jake, don't worry about the mic. Help her get out there for me. And look in verse 27 and 28 of chapter 1. God creates, and then he creates something that, that he says, this I'm creating to look like me. He says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God creates man in his image and gives man authority and says, look, I want you now to rule over the things that I have created. But look in chapter two. Chapter two starts letting us know the first time we see the word work. Thus, the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his what? That he had done. He rested on the Sabbath, on the seventh day from all his that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his that he had done in creation. So something's off. God's like, I create, I work. I make you, you're supposed to look like me, therefore you work, and then we all are supposed to just chill, rest from working. This is not going to be a sermon about rest, because I'm too guilty to preach that sermon right now. (laughs) This is a sermon about work. And so on the seventh day, he rests from working. And he does something for man. Just to make it even a little bit more clear, look with me in verse 15 of chapter 2. The Lord took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat eat of it, you will surely die. God created all this stuff. Then he creates us. Then he says, I want you to rest like I did because I was working, but I want you to work. You are an image bearer. You should be working. Working is beautiful, so beautiful that I created the whole earth. But then I made a special place, this place called Eden, and I want you to work it, and working it is going to be easy. Working it is actually going to be a delight. Working it is going to be awesome because this is what I created you to do. And I not only created you for it, I set you up to thrive in it. The term that we use for Eden, that's synonymous with Eden, is paradise. Paradise. Want for nothing, look for nothing, 
I get the, the movie images of like, you know, people walking around when I'm hungry, somehow a vanilla wafer just, oop. You know what I'm saying? Paradise. But, that, but this is what God is saying. He's saying, I've set you up to do work, but this work is not hard. This work represents and reflects me. It represents the mission that I have for you, which is to allow there to be authority and rule throughout the world. But then something happens. Something happens. Just like when mama says something like, yeah, you can have whatever you want. I'm going to run to the store. Go ahead and make you a lunch. You can have whatever you want, but don't eat these cream puffs because I'm saving these for something special. As soon as mama leaves, I look at the whole cabinet and I see everything I got, all my options, but what do my eyes focus in on? The cream puffs. Sadly, that's, that's, that we get to replay that story over and over again. As soon as you tell me the one thing that I should not be going after, somehow I get drawn to that one thing. And the, the Adam and Eve had the beauty of having every tree, every vegetation, every option in the Garden of Eden. But he said, don't touch one. And sadly, our, our spiritual father and spiritual mother delighted in a tree that they were not supposed to touch and it and it brought forth sin into the world that we are still plagued by still can be consumed by and there was an effect that happened that changed our interaction with work look at me in Genesis 3 in Genesis 3 it says starting at verse 17 God is saying this And to Adam, God said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Have you ever tried to like get something to eat? off of an item that has thorns. You're trying to think, how can I be able to access this without experiencing the pain? And God says you can't. Now as a result of sin, pain and toil and a new aspect of work is going to mess up that in which I created for good initially. For good. But now there's going to be an added element that makes it extremely tough, makes it extremely hard, makes it a burden. The word work is uh, commonly used in three ways in the Bible. It's used as as, um, toil, it's used as worship, and it's used as service toil when you you got to exert a lot of energy to be able to work worship as in to work unto God as into my life as an offering unto you and service as I might work to care for my brother or sister but I want to start by making a few pastoral declarations just to make sure we're talking about the same thing because there are various types of work let me give a little PSA announcement 
Um, if you are a stay-at-home mom, you are working. You are working. This applies to you because not only is birthing the kids tough as a result of the fall, but also raising the kids is tough as a result of the fall, or caring for the home is tough as a result of the fall. Sister said home economics. Why? Because we burn stuff now. We didn't burn stuff in the Garden of Eden. We need to be taught how not to burn stuff. We need help. If you were injured on the job and can't physically do as you used to, Because some days it takes way more energies to do the basics that other people take for granted. But you're caring for your family and you're trying to love your neighbors. You are working. If you have been unemployed and desire a career but still work hard in the many other emotional and physical ways, you are working. Work is defined as you exerting energy and effort to create and produce something. Now, I'm supposed to say that for later, but I'm going to got to say it now because the Lord is leading me. If you don't work, you're lazy. You, you are not supposed to be a believer who said, God, you have gifted me unto something, and now I keep it all to myself. The only way a person truly doesn't work is if you wake up in the morning, lay in your bed, And you just don't move. Because work can be cleaning my house. Work can be going and helping someone else. Work can be writing a card to someone. Work is not simply job and occupation. So we are not to be a lazy people because God calls us to reflect and bear his image. But. There are some aspects of work and occupation that help us understand work as a universal topic. Because ultimately, our goal is to glorify God and to, ex- and to show dominion that God has over all his creation. And so that should not simply just be in our overall lives. That should spill over into our work life as well. We're going to look at a brother. Some folks call him Zachy. I like to call him Z-Man. Look with me to Luke 19. We're going to look at a brother named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a, uh, you know what, let me just read it because it's going to set the whole stage for you. Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 helps us take work and helps us understand what it looks like to allow job and occupation to be a part of the work motif. But God's work design tells us how we are to live out our occupations. Chapter 19 of Luke, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. This is Jesus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see for he, was about to, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. 
And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The African Bible commentary says that the name Zacchaeus literally means righteous or clean. Zacchaeus was a rich man, supposed to be known for being righteous and clean. And Zacchaeus desires to see Jesus. He desires to connect with him. He desires to see what is this commotion about. I got to get to that man. And God says, I want you to be hospitable to me. But Zacchaeus has what I call the, the cookie itch. So like, like I, 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 I can't cook cookies. And when my wife cooks cookies, uh, I make her a little mad because when she gets cooking cookies, like my math gets off. I'm like, okay, one for the kids, one for the school, one for me. One for the kids, one for the school, two for me. <laughs> one for the kids, one for the school, nine, 11 for me. You know, like my math starts getting off when it comes to sugar. I get greedy and it's just, I can't, it's tough for me to resist. Zacchaeus had his hand dabbling in the fresh-baked finances of every family in the nation. He was a tax collector, and so he would take some for the Roman government, some for himself, and a little more for himself. And so every time you saw him coming, you started to hide a little bit. You got a little nervous because You hated that you could never truly refute a tax collector because all he's saying is Rome wants it. He's not telling you that he's scheming off of the top. And so now this title, a job and occupational title, has a certain type of stank associated with it. We got some titles like that today. Some occupations, when you first think of it, you don't think joy, you don't think integrity, you don't think love, you think stank. (laughs) And that's what they thought of Zacchaeus. So much so that when Jesus is with him, what word do they associate with his job title? Sinner. How, How is that for culture defining you? How is that for, for, for the community viewing you? How is that for what people think of you? They call him, they call him sinner. But I love Z-Man because what he does is he models for us what it looks like to pursue a holy God. He's got physical stature that allows him to be too small to be able to see through the crowd. But he has a hunger to see Jesus. And so he won't allow his physical stature and his physical size to stop him from getting to the king. So what does he do? He goes high. He finds a way to get in the presence and he sees, okay, Jesus is going to be going down this road. So let me go and hit this tree. And he sits up in the tree waiting for Jesus, not knowing that in him pursuing Jesus, Jesus is going to pursue him. Yeah, I think I'm coming to your house tonight for dinner. I think I'm coming to your place tonight for dinner, Zacchaeus. And in in doing so, the community is in an uproar. I I love this because it shows us that, that, let's just be real, 
part of your work and part of your occupation means that in your line of work, you might have some haters. Some of them may be haters because you brought it on yourself, like Zacchaeus. Some of them just might hate your agenda. Some of them might hate your Christianity. Some might be mad. You ain't got to get all up in a tree and go that, that far. You don't got to be that radical. You could just wait until he gets to the end of the street. Why are you pressing through like that, Zaki? Some people have very real and tangible hate towards them in their work and in their professions. And I want to acknowledge that as I'm trying to tell you that God has a redemptive element of who you are to be played out in work. I don't want to diminish and act like work is easy. I found an example of how bad work can be as I was doing a little research. A professor Um, Professor Martin at Washington University in St. Louis, he was doing some research in light of what took place there uh, with the shootings and killings of of, uh, people during Fort Ferguson. And he came across FBI files. These FBI files were of Elder Lightfoot Solomon Mishu. Elder Lightfoot was a church planter who planted many churches. Elder Lightfoot was one of the first, um, was the first African American to get government money and from millions of dollars create two affordable housing complexes. Elder Lightfoot started businesses. Elder Lightfoot had the first like syndicated African American radio broadcast where he's preaching And unfortunately, Elder Lightfoot was a pawn used by the government. They have found FBI files of the government giving Elder Lightfoot words to say to tear down the character and the civil rights movement of Dr. King. This black pastor was one of King's biggest critics. But people just thought he didn't like King. People just thought he, there was another way that he preferred. Now we come to find out maybe why he got those large government subsidies to build affordable housing. Maybe now we're coming out to find that this man may have just hated on a gospel-centered brother that was trying to do something redemptive for the nation. Like, hate is real within the workplace, but I love even King's motivation and King's demeanor, which was, I'm not going to stop and take away from God's appointed work in my life to fight all of these different naysayers. I tried to look up responses from King. None. He's focused on doing the work that God would have for him to do that would redemptively see the world changed. The world changed. I love, I love when we get a chance to see people respond in ways that, that operate in ways very different than the culture. And I love that even in this Zacchaeus text, 
while he's got some haters and maybe the haters he brought on himself, God says something. He says, salvation comes today. But notice what Zacchaeus offers. He offers to get right with everybody that he's done wrong. You see, work for the Christian starts with a God-centered ethic. You cannot be a Christian and operate in any kind of work and not have a sense of right and wrong. Right and wrong is our purpose. Right and wrong helps us understand our God. God declares what is good and what is wrong, and we follow God. So when we step into the work environment, the workplace, we're not governing based on our own rules. We're, we're not governing based on me liking you a little bit more so I can ignore when you do it, but because I don't like you, sorry, I'm going to have to write you up. You see, there is a right and wrong, and for the Christian, God defines it. And so when Zacchaeus meets this Jesus, he knows, I've done some people wrong. But see, this isn't just a lesson for Zacchaeus in, in, in setting it right. He basically is saying, hey, today I'm ready to get everyone right and tight, and I'm ready to pay those that I've wronged in my past even up to four times. See, there's, a, there's a, a, a social component, there's an ethic component, there's an action component in our work that God calls us to. And it's making decisions, it's living a lifestyle, it is modeling a character that is redemptive. And so Zacchaeus has to, has to pony up. Can you imagine if you were a person Month after month that he took money from now somehow seeing this man live a morally Christian life. Not just saying I got saved, but actually showing his salvation through the way he treats others. And him coming to you saying, look, I'm sorry I've wronged you. I know I took this amount, but I want to give you four times that just so you can know how truly sorry I am for my past behaviors. See, some of us have never wronged someone in that way where we took money from them, but do you protect relationships with that same type of care? Not only have you wronged someone in the past, but how are you thinking of preserving God-centered relationships in the work environment in the future? Are you thinking of how to care for people emotionally with your words? What would people say about you? What would they say about your Zacchaeus tendencies when we're about self? You see, God wants us to tell the redemptive picture that work is supposed to show his glory, show his love, show his care, kindness, and compassion. And if we can't start at a basic level, we're, we're, we're missing the mark. I was... Uh, I was really encouraged when, um, when God showed me later um, 
an aspect of work that I had to go through. And I, and I love that like work constantly is this thing that's supposed to be like growing us to look more like Jesus. Raise your hand if you ever had an aspect of your character challenged in the work environment. You know, she said, what about me? What? We, uh, mandatory overtime? I remember I was, um, and I, I've shared this before, but I was, I was graduating, had a number of master's degrees. I know that I'm either going to go this route and become a college professor, or I'm going this route and I'm going to be a, uh, an HR director. One of those, I'm about to get paid. Let's do this. All right. And so God changes the whole script. I'm back in Cleveland. I can't find a job. I can't do anything. I end up selling women's shoes. And... Um, Yep. Selling women's shoes. Yeah, I know, right? I know, right? That's what I'm saying. Yep. Yep. So I'm selling women's shoes, and there was something that was distinctly different between the people who were average shoe salesmen and excellent shoe salesmen. Average shoe salesmen would collect all the shoes from the sisters, go to the back, bring out the shoes, set them down. There you go, ma'am. I'll be right over here waiting for you. Just let me know which, which of those three you'd like, which five of the ten I brought you you'd like, and I'll, I'll take care of you. You know what I'm saying? That was, a, that was an average shoe salesman. You just do it quickly, quickly. But an excellent shoe salesman would get down, take off the old shoe, put on the new shoe, and not in a, not in a seductive way at all, just as when a person... Uh, you want to put on a jacket, and they open up the jacket, and you just slide your arms in. It's, it's just a way of showing care, showing compassion, showing service, family. That job, I never would have thought it, but that job prepared me for a posture of pastoring. I had such an arrogant heart that I thought doing something like selling shoes was beneath me. And it was in that environment that God grabbed my heart and made me grateful for that job. Because I realized there was people while I was working there coming and applying for that job. You see, family, work is something that's supposed to reset our minds as Christians where we don't operate the same way. We knew that God provided everything in the Garden of Eden. God was Adam and Eve's sustenance. Somehow sin disrupted that, and then today we think that we provide. But work is supposed to remind us all that God is providing and caring for us and wants us to be his servants. So now the question is, who are you willing to serve? Will you only serve the people you get along with in the work environment? Will you only serve the great customers who show that same kindness back? Or is gratitude actually have nothing to do with any of you in the room and everything to do with God? You see, our work is supposed to flow from a posture of gratitude of, man, God, you are so good to me that as jacked up as this environment is, I'm still going to worship you. I'm still going to thank you because I guarantee you with all the problems with your house, the people who call me from the shelter looking for housing, they would love to be working on your house. 
love to be living in your home. I guarantee you, for every bad aspect of your job, the HR director in your company has a list of people applying for your role. I guarantee you. So now the question is, what would it take for us to be a grateful people? And God is saying, work. I'm I'm, I'm giving you work. That's why work is something that's not relegated just to your job. Look at me. Colossians chapter 3, and we almost out of here. Colossians chapter 3. I done got all out of my notes and stuff. Here we go. Look in verse 23. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do. This is said in the context of husbands loving wives, wives loving husbands, children loving loving parents, and and this it is a slave context here, but more specifically, it's thinking of like the work environment. Look, wherever you go, you're supposed to be working it like you're doing it for God. Because when it's for him, you got a posture of being grateful. When it's for him, you got a posture of being thankful. When it's for him, it helps you to reset and see, man, maybe some of this drama is growing me and it ain't everybody else only. Two last points. Work. Work is something that God does to remind us that we are in need of one another, that we need each other, that that you are not okay by yourself. Work reminds us that we are interdependent. So you got a you got a a group of guys that are laborers. They uh they go and they dig stuff out the ground. All right. They're taking rocks and stuff out the ground and they're crushing it and make it into the sand. Then you got a, a company that takes that sand and they take it and use it to make asphalt. Then you got a uh, uh, a state, uh, uh, a web design company that takes the company that's making the asphalt, puts it out there, and that web design company has helped publicize that this company sells asphalt. Then you got a state representative that says, huh, we need some road work done. State representative looks on the website, calls up the company. The IRS starts collecting the money just to be able to get the money to be able to pay for the roads. The governor says, ah, the IRS got the money so we can get roads for our city, roads for our state. President gets excited about us having commerce taking place and roadways flowing. President says, we're going to have a new bill that goes forward so the transportation industry can flourish and you can get all the things that you need. And all this is just so you can get a box of Lucky Charms. That's what all this is for. I'm being silly, y'all, but, 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 but do, you, do you see that, that we're all connected? You're, you're, there is nothing. I don't care if you just stay inside of your house. Somebody built the house. If you say, I just want to clean, somebody made the broom. What you do helps me, and what I do helps you. And so how dare any of us be arrogant and think that we're better than another? Work is supposed to remind us 
that God's got this economic design by which he uses all of humanity to work together and that what you do is of value. But how dare you look at someone else and say, but theirs isn't. You see, God is using work to allow us to look more like him, to remind us of our value, of our worth, but also the value and worth of others. We are not good because of our jobs. We're good because he is good. And God has placed us in a job where we can extend his glory unto customers, unto family, unto friends. There's a uh, a highly academic website called Quora. Sorry, um, it's not academic at all. So Quora is this website <laughs> where like people ask questions and then the nation, like you and I, can respond with answers. So oftentimes, like I'll go there because I want to get a gauge of what people think. What is the what does the world say about this? And so uh, one of the questions posed some years ago was how many people actually are happy in their jobs? This man named Ken Alderson, who graduated with high distinction from uh, Harvard's business school in 1965, he's the president of management strategies. And the average core person may have like a few hundred people that like follow them when when they say something we want to know because we like what they say. This brother has 14 million people following him. So he he responds to that question by saying, just in an opinion that I formed over several decades of helping companies choose employees and helping individuals choose jobs, people who are dissatisfied or uncomfortable or indifferent or who feel out of place at their jobs had the same feeling about previous jobs pretty often and the job after that pretty often. It is rare that one finds everyone in a department all holding essentially the same job, universally hating the job. There's always a mix. Some people think it's a fine life here, some not caring, and some very unhappy. All with the same job, same company, same boss, same duties, and so on. All of which suggests to me that the greatest majority of job dissatisfaction is not due to the job, the boss, the company, associates, or anything else, it is a problem with the individual. Family. We, and and what he goes on to say is that people's purpose is what helps define how they approach work. This is a worldly brother. You know what? I don't know. Maybe he is a believer speaking about Jesus, but not using that vernacular. I don't know. But what I do know is he's hitting something on the head. That we define who we will be when we enter into work. Work doesn't define us. We define who we will be based on our relationship with Jesus Christ when we enter into work. Work does not define us. And so my prayer, family, is that you would consider some questions. Some questions like, uh-oh, I got pull those questions up on me, brother. Am I, uh, and I'm sorry, I, I meant to change this. It should be ask kingdom questions about your work. Strike job from that. 
because this is the overall title. Am I grateful for my work environment? Whatever it is. How are your coworkers experiencing God through you? How are your customers experiencing God through you? How does your work bless others? How is your work a means of sanctification to grow you to reflect God? These are questions that, 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 that we should be able to have some real answers to. And if a new boss comes in, does all this change? No, because we are answering these questions in relation to the king. I'm excited to see God continue to use us to redeem his world as we get to reflect him in all aspects of work. And if you're a person saying, but that sounds so crazy, pastor, why would I, after I got over on people, now go back and make it right? You see, the reason why we would even suggest that is because there was a God who loved you enough to see your pain, see the sin that you carried, and said, I'll forgive you of it. And not only will I forgive you when you don't deserve it, I'm going to make you righteous. I'm going to make you reflect me. I'm going to make you look like me. I'm going to allow you to image me. But all I need you to do is accept my offer. It's an offer God won't force. It's an invitation for you to be loved by the king and give of your life so that you may fully take on his. If that's something you would like to do today, live for Jesus. I will be standing here to the left. All you need to simply say when we come up for communion is come over to me and say, Pastor, I want to live for Jesus. I don't understand fully the extent of my sin and all of the different things that he died for, and I don't even know fully his death, but I know I want to live for him. I'll be standing here to the side. Church family, I'm honored to serve with you. Let's continue to be kingdom witnesses as we work. Let's pray.